and welcome to ED's Sustainable Business Cupboard podcast. Coming up on today's episode, we dial Climate Week NYC to catch up with the Climate Group CEO, Helen Clarkson. The Climate Coalition's community organiser, Grace Fisher, talks us through how Great Big Green Week is helping the public prepare for COP26. And Beggars Group's Head of Sustainability, Will Hutton, explains what it will take for record labels to go net zero. A very warm welcome to you all and thank you so much for choosing the ED podcast. I'm Edie's senior reporter and podcast secretary Sarah George and I'm joined in our virtual podcast studio today by our content editor Matt Mace, inarguably the better half of the news desk team. So how are we doing today Matt? I am good thank you yes I, I, I dispute that claim on the, the better half I think my time on the news desk in the last few weeks has probably been the most it's been since <laughs> uh, oh, Certainly for a few months, I feel a bit more uh, detached than I had been to the news in a while. Yeah, but nonetheless, you're highly commended for AOP Journalist of the Year, and I'm just out here minding my business. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you, you, I'm glad you dropped that accolade in rather than me me doing it. I was trying to think of a way I could could mention that to the to the audience without sounding smug. So thank you. That's more than all right. And just a quick catch up before we get into our interviews. So the last podcast we had was for our COP26 focus week, which was very busy um, for us and really actually feeds in quite well to the theme um, today. But since then, Matt and I have both had some time off and some time back and it's been quite a busy news week this week. But um, yeah, what's been going on with with you, Matt? Yeah, it's been, um, I was on annual leave for the focus week because I'm smart and booked that week off. Um, but the busiest week we had off without realising what it was. <clears throat> and then, yeah, came back and you went on to leave. That was a nice, relatively simple week. Um, uh, and then got really ill that week because um, everyone's immune system is, is so weak right now. We're all, most of us are all kind of vaccinated against COVID, but, you know, if you get a if you get a cold you're out for a you're out for the week um but i was able to keep on top of the news desk and i think we're just seeing this this kind of real ramp up of climate pledges and governments getting their own houses in order a bit more as we approach cop 26 yeah this week is definitely a lot more hectic than last um and as you have gathered from the introduction to this episode Um, The point of this specific episode is to capture some of the excitement that's happening at two major climate weeks that are going on this week. So there's Climate Week NYC in the US and Great Big Green Week here in the UK. Um, As Matt's alluded to, we've got less than six weeks to go until COP26. Um, So these events, which actually chime in with the UN General Assembly quite well, are going to be some of the last events of this scale before COP26. So it's really like a final push sort of feeling um, at the moment. Over the past few days, there have been so many different talks, so many side events, so many business announcements, um, so many world leaders speeches and even major policy changes as well. Um, And I wanted to come on to you for that last one, Matt, because I know you covered a news piece this week. Um, about the fact that China is not going to be supporting overseas coal projects going forward. Um, So that's essentially 40 gigawatts of coal capacity that had been planned that's now just not going to come to fruition. So what was it like to to see that after after covering, I guess, China's original 2060 climate target um, last year? Yeah, I mean, it was it was welcome. Um, Pretty unexpected. I don't think they've been too much I think a couple of reports from like Politico that it might happen but then at the uh the UN General Assembly they, they kind of announced it and as you mentioned it's a huge pipeline of, of planned cold projects that kind of essentially gets wiped out it opens up this huge allocation of money which China said will be re-funneled not necessarily all of it into uh, clean energy projects um <clears throat> and it's great because a huge um, part of this uh, COP26 build-up is is climate finance and, and developing countries needed this support from uh, from the real kind of economic players in the world. Um, 
uh, they've historically not been living up to the hundred billion uh, dollar annual commitments. They've been quite well short on that. They're still well short on that. Um, so this is this is uh, a welcome thing. Obviously, the UK has been stung with its own approach to uh, uh, supporting fossil fuels abroad, and they put in that export ban recently as well. It's all it's all good, and uh, <clears throat> but the China China is still kind of quite heavily reliant on coal in internally um even though i think they're the largest kind of uh spender in terms of domestic renewable uh projects as well um so it, it's it's a classic case as seems to be everything with sustainability uh, any announcement that comes in um i don't think there's ever been one where we've just sat there and gone that's brilliant there's nothing to pick at here it's all great there's always kind of there's always kind of footnotes and uh, devils in the details that kind of make you a little bit despondent but the the journey's still going right and coupled with that obviously uh president biden from the from the us pledged to double their climate finance from 5.7 billion dollars to, to more than 11 billion dollars um which is a, a welcome boost as well yeah, it's been great to see that. And I think, as I've mentioned, the point of this episode is not only to capture some of these goings on at the policy level, um, but to take it down a bit as well, to look at the business level um, and the SME level, the community level, and even to what individuals are doing. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce our first guest speaker, because I'm sure you're not dialed in to hear me and Matt talk about China for an hour. Um, and our first guest for this episode is Helen Clarkson, the CEO of the Climate Week NYC organising organisation, uh, The Climate Group. Um, and they've been running this event annually since 2009. It's now the largest event of its kind with hundreds of registered events, uniting world leaders, activists, academics, NGOs, businesses and all other kinds of organizations so if it exists and it's interested in sustainability it's probably there and this year after a fully virtual event last year there's a hybrid format and there's also been some changes to the organization of the event in the name of better inclusion diversity and equality Helen's going to talk us through some of that in this interview which I hope sets the scene um, for this busy week so let's all imagine we're in New York City for the next 15 minutes or so. Here is that talk. Hi, Helen. It's great to see you virtually, though. I, I understand we're in different time zones today. So what time is it in New York for you? Yeah, uh, I'm in New York and it's midday. And 5 p.m. for me here. So a good evening to both of us. How are you? Yes, I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, very happy to be here back for Climate Week NYC. Of course, and that's what we're here to, to talk about. So I guess the obvious place to start is with a little bit about what it's been like on the ground um, in NYC this year. I know that it's a hybrid and virtual event this year after being virtual last year. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about yeah what it looks like this, this year over the pond. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be back here. Um, as you said, it's been a mixture. So yesterday, uh, Monday, we held the opening ceremony. Um, that was back on the stage in the Time Centre, much reduced audience we've had in the past. So it was a, it was kind of funny. You're looking at this uh, auditorium, and and normally your brain would say, oh, no one's here, but actually it was kind of at capacity, even though it was half full. Um, but it was great to see people, um, and then we had some speakers dialing in, some joining us on stage, and it and it all worked. And I think. You know, the atmosphere in the room, for example, Governor Hochul made a couple of really big announcements. I think she got a standing ovation. I was outside, so I couldn't see the audience, but I heard that. But there was whooping and cheering and just that sort of human reaction that you don't get, uh, you know, on a virtual thing where people can just nod or, you know, they click the little thumbs up sign. It's just not the same. Um, but the fact that we've got the kind of virtual events going on means that we can have that much more global approach that we really took last year so I, I think we're, hope, we're we're hoping to get the kind of right mix there and, and do as best we can but um, and we want to keep some of that into the future because I think it is important to have those global voices um, joining um, but there is that sort of element of in person so we're experimenting and I think it's going uh, going really well I think that you know what's obviously at the forefront of everyone's minds is COVID and um, not just because it's kind of determining the kind of physicality, but actually how is the recovery going? Um, you know, there's a lot of money committed around the world. I think there was very high hope that a lot of that would be spent on the green agenda, probably less than um, was hoped as being um, 
extra questions coming up a lot. So I think the COVID is kind of shaping things both from a kind of how the event looks point of view, but also, you know, what, what are the conversations that we're having? Of course, I remember working in sort of the middle to, to the middle of last year, I suppose, and the words green recovery was a sort of bingo. I'd see it thousands of times a day. And although I probably see it less now, it's very much still on the agenda. And we are very much still seeing that, as as you've mentioned. And something that I noticed this year as well, other than the fact that obviously you're there in person, um, is, is changes to sort of themes and the ways that the discussions are set out. So I remember seeing um, some tweets last year more calls for environmental justice on the agenda, um, more diverse voices. As you've mentioned, having the option to dial in really helps with that in a way, um, but also that this is now an agenda topic. So I'd love to hear about some of the conversations and events that have been going on on this green recovery, environmental justice, just transition piece. Yeah, actually, we had a really we've had a really interesting partnership this year with the Solutions Project, um, and they wrote about it that they had you know, sort of slightly called us out for what are the, you know, faces on the panels and who's showing up. And, you know, a lot of that is a reflection of our audience, the senior business figures. And yeah, they they skew towards a, a kind of white uh, male demographic. And, and that's who ends up on stage often. And, and we do, we felt we were working hard to adjust that, but we weren't going hard enough. And they, and they sort of called us out. They ran something called Black Climate Week. But rather than, you know, I think when something like that you start to have that conversation the natural position is defensiveness and actually we've turned it into a really good partnership with them and they acknowledge that like it became a kind of call in and, and we're really trying to explore with them how do we get better at that conversation make it authentic you know it's really hot you, you know the kind of we don't want to be a token conversation but I think it's really important to you know in a in a bring activists into the conversation with businesses and it's not about you know the, the week shouldn't just be about passing people on the back for the good work they're doing, but also pushing harder and being bolder and thinking about these broader issues, which, you know, while companies remain not as diverse as, as the, the populace and, you know, there aren't diverse places, they're not hearing those voices internally. So how do you bring those voices kind of externally and make that a useful conversation and, uh, and sort of, and as I say, not a sort of token conversation. So I think we're learning a lot on how on how to do that. And I hope that's coming across in the events. But, you know, we know that there's a lot more to do. And I think that's what we're hoping uh, for our partnership with Solutions Project. Um, and Gloria Walton participated in the opening ceremony. That was great. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's coming up a lot. I think people really start to understand that a lot more. We're getting all these, you know, horrible weather events happening people can just see and see who it's affecting and and that message is getting getting through and so I think that it's right that those conversations are lively and I hope we can continue to push ourselves to, to bring that conversation forward. It's been much the same here for us so we recently had an online event on resilience and adaptation and it was our best subscribed event the chat was extremely yeah as you as you say lively so this really is is coming home and I was going to ask about how we can keep this approach going and keep that momentum going through to COP um, and beyond and you've mentioned there you mentioned a couple of things so you mentioned um, getting a partnership um, being willing to be challenged and called in and to see that as an opportunity and going beyond just one-off and tokenism but I don't know if you had anything else to add or if those are the main main bits of advice really yeah I think those are my main 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 bits of advice and then it's about you know how do you how do you make people comfortable with being made uncomfortable I think if you're you know if you're big business you know you know people are gonna raise these issues but actually you know I'm sure everyone's been doing lots of reading over the last couple of years and trying to think much harder about these issues and thinking that defensiveness isn't helpful and so in a way as we work with companies can we help them be ready to receive as well and I think that for us sort of modeling that behavior ourselves and and not modeling it like that but but like you know having that experience is is important so I, I guess I'm sort of elaborating on the same point but it's it's trying to get people's minds very open to just how important this conversation is and it needs to be there um and we don't think it you know you could argue that you have a separate theme you know you, t you know or you put it as part of everything and I think both approaches are valid and we're trying to bring it in um, across the piece. Great and I have another question like this that I feel like the answer might be similar so you've mentioned the need to call businesses in not just on this but also on the other topics so 
um, decarbonisation, biodiversity, technologies, um, all of those other things that normally come into a sustainability strategy. Um, and on the events page is marketed as the time and place to showcase leading climate action. Um, but we all know that while there are leaders, there are laggards as well, um, and that COP26 is on the horizon and NDCs need to be updated to keep us in reach of Paris. Um, so I'd love to hear your words on how we can take this leadership, but then go beyond it. Um, to deliver the sheer scale and pace um, of change that we need. We've seen that we need it in the IPCC report. And obviously, for some people, you won't even need to read the report. You can just look outside and see what's going on. Yeah. And I think so. The theme for Climate Week MIC this year is getting it done. And we wanted to be really on that action point. You know, we've heard people like Greta Thunberg say, stop telling me about 2050, tell me about today. And we sort of we're looking at and thinking, well, we know it's not that easy. We know that these plans and things take a long time, but it's the right call to be making to saying to businesses, you know, yes, your 2050 commitments, your 2030 commitments, they're really, really important. And you've got to put those in place to set the course for the, you know, the direction for a business. But you it's not good enough to set those and then just sort of pat yourself on the back and, and bask in it. You've actually got to put a plan together for what are you doing tomorrow and so that's the theme getting it done and I think that we are seeing a lot of action this week um, and you know people showing up ready to talk about what are they actually doing and we're trying to push quite hard on that um, and then the other part that sort of you know in the broader landscape giving me hope is is just the the, the shift in the rhetoric and the discourse is so different from a few years ago uh, you know, at the national government level, we've got the US back in uh, Paris. So you've got a pro climate action administration here. You've got a lot of the cabinet have got climate elements in their portfolios. They're, there seems to be a really good understanding of the link between opportunity around climate and the jobs agenda. And I think that it definitely feels like they're doing more than just paying lip service to that when you have conversations. And we've interviewed quite a few for this week for various events um it, it does it, the plan seem to be there it's genuine so we've got a long long way to go but at least that kind of foundation piece of intent is there um and i and that's what sort of is giving me some hope because i just have felt that shift in the in the sort of tailwinds in the last few years and you know I, you've worked on climate a long time, I'm sure. And, you know, it's very, you sort of go optimistic one minute, negative the next. Yeah, it's quite a roller coaster in that sense. But at the moment, I think if you look at how this feels compared to a few years ago, I do think things are moving in the right direction. The question, obviously, is speed and urgency. And I think, you know, it's frustrating when we, we're hearing, sort of read a bit of the readout from the UNGER meetings uh, this week, you know, against. The, it, it's sort of two steps forward, one back, and we need to just keep be taking steps forward. And I think that's the that's the the bit now is sort of pushing governments to 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 really um, not sort of give with one hand and take away with the other, and sort of go, well, we'll just you know we'll do one last fossil fuel thing, and then we'll be at it. You know, it's got to be no, this is the direction now, and I think that's where we need to keep putting pressure on. That makes complete sense, especially with COP26 on the horizon here and all eyes are sort of waiting at the, at the moment at the time I'm recording this for that heat and building strategy, net zero strategy and for the inquiry into the Cumbria coal mine to stop okay. um, yeah. <laughs> and for Cambo to call, be called off and all of this sort of thing. So it is, as you say, it is that moment and it's it's just a question of will some of it pass us by and I'm sure we'd be here all night if we were trying to answer that question. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's it's like I sort of think of it a bit like you know when you go on a diet or something but you always start it tomorrow and I think that's the that's the problem uh for for governments it's like oh we'll just do one last you know bad thing and we'll just do a little coal mine in Cumbria and then we'll and then we'll deliver and it's like no you don't get to do that um so yeah Great. Well, thank you so much, Helen. I think that's really painted a picture of what it's like there. And yeah, best of luck with the with the rest of the week. Thank you very much. Big thank you once again to Helen for her time. Uh, as we were saying, we were recording that earlier this week. But um, as of when this is being recorded, as we're coming to the end of the week, there have now been more than 500 official events. And I don't want to think about how many more unofficial ones there are having taken place all over the world. 
Um, so yeah, it's just time now to keep the momentum going, I think. Matt, I was going to ask you here, because I know you've been an ED member a lot longer than me, whether you've actually been to a climate week yourself. No, no, um, never managed to quite get out to, to New York, um, <clears throat> to no yellow taxis or high rises. Uh, for me, most of it's been virtual tuning into um, events that never quite meshed well with our work hours because of the time difference, but were, were insightful nonetheless. Um, I've been to a kind of few more UK focused green weeks, green GB week that the government introduced a couple of years ago. I uh, went to a few kind of London based events there. In fact, he was an official media partner of, of that. Um, so it's on the bucket list still. Yeah, same for me too. Maybe, maybe after COVID. Um, but for now, we're going to keep our attentions firmly back here in the UK, um, where something newer um, but equally important and perhaps even larger in scope, depending on your definition, is, is happening. And that is the country's first ever Great Big Green Week. This is a new event spearheaded by the Climate Coalition and it's a UK wide initiative. So since last weekend, there have been more than 4000 events happening all over the UK, spanning pretty much the entirety of John O'Groats to Land's End. Um, and when I say events, I mean everything from community hands-on events like litter picks, to high-level online talks, to business forums and announcements, um, to some of the UK's biggest landmarks actually being lit up physically green. And all of this has one aim, which is to get everyone involved in climate action ahead of COP26 in their own way. Beyond showing the government here in the UK that there's more than enough appetite for action on the ground, these events and resources will be bringing businesses together and other organisations to deliver that change we desperately need on the ground, as we mentioned earlier. So taking a few minutes out of her busy week to give us a taste of what's going on is the Climate Coalition's community organiser, Grace Fisher, um, and she summarises all of this better than I could. So let's play that interview with Grace for you now. Hi Grace, it's great to have you on our podcast. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me along. I am very well. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Not not too bad. Um, threatening to rain though, and I've got washing on the line. So if you hear me speeding off, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whereabouts am I calling you today, Grace? Um, so I'm based in Falmouth in Cornwall. Oh, lovely. Mm. Very nice. Very yeah. jealous. Yeah, lots of sea swimming involved in my day to day, so it's pretty pretty good. Sounds ideal. Um, and yeah, so we're here and this podcast is taking place in a super busy week for climate. So it's the UN General Assembly this week. It's Climate Week NYC. And then here in the UK, it's uh, Great Big Green Week, which here, we're here to talk about. Um, and we know that it's hosted by the Climate Coalition. I don't think we've had them on the podcast before. Um, so it'd be great to get a brief introduction for those who, who aren't aware just to set the scene. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so uh, the Climate Coalition is the UK's largest group of people dedicated to action on climate change. Uh, we're made up of over 140 membership organisations, including businesses like Triodos Bank and Ben and & Jerry's, as well as faith groups and institutions like the National Trust and the WI, uh, as well as NGOs like Greenpeace, WWF, Oxfam, Surfers Get Sewage and many more. And we're essentially organisations who are committed to protecting people and places that we love, which is why we created the Great Big Green Week. Fantastic. And from what I've seen, it does seem so buzzy. There's been, from what I understand, literally more than a thousand events. I've seen Boris Johnson cheeky tweet about this as well. Yes. Um, so that begs the question of how the week's been going um, so far. And I know we're on this call on Wednesday, but by the time this goes live, the week will be coming to an end. So, so far, I'd love to hear about your highlights. So your standout talking points or anything special that you've noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as I said, it's been a pretty buzzy, very exciting week. Um, and we've actually seen over 4,500 community events, which is massive. And they've all been happening across the UK and some of which have been part of um, 200 of our Green Weeks, which are organised by local community groups and others are individual events. And they all highlight kind of how concerned people are across the country about climate change. And um, they're all coming from like lots of different walks of life and everyone's very concerned about climate change. And this is kind of like their way of showing that they care. Um, and honestly, we've seen so many communities and groups getting involved from like faith groups and schools and universities cinemas, dance groups, businesses, hospitals, football associations, zoos, like literally you name it, and we've had groups involved. Um, 
And their events have included things like guided nature walks and vegan markets and litter picks and car free days and eco fairs, um, photography competitions, uh, climate faith services, electric vehicle showcases. There's literally like so much going on. Um, and it's been really amazing seeing all these people coming together throughout the week. Um, but it's actually not just community groups. So we've seen um, on Saturday, like last week, we saw BT Sports presenters supporting the Green Week along with the Tate and Oxford University. Uh, on Sunday, we had Prue Leith showing us how to make a delicious vegetarian curry. And Dr. Amir Khan was in Bradford planting seeds for local members of the community. Uh, the BT Tower, Wembley Arch and Lowworth Cove uh, lit up uh, with messages on climate change. And as you mentioned, we have seen um, politicians engaging too, as we had a little cheeky tweet from uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, um, encouraging people to engage in the week as well. So yeah, it's been super amazing. and. Um, for those listening, as if it's Friday and you're listening in, uh, there's obviously still things happening on Saturday and Sunday. The Green Week kind of runs into the weekend as well. So do check out um, our website to find out more about what's going on in your local area as well. Thanks, Grace, for that overview. And it feeds into what I was going to ask about the tagline, essentially. I found this really interesting, sort of wish I'd wrote it myself. <laughs> um, and the tagline is the fight that unites. And it sounds like it's doing what it says on the tin which is which is great um and it's particularly inspiring for me because for my job i have to be on twitter every day and it's quite a depressing place at the moment everyone's criticizing xr ripping into insulate britain um tweeting about how cop isn't inclusive and should be delayed um looking at the gas price crisis and then using that to say well really we need to get onto nuclear and aren't renewables terrible and various misinformation like that um, so it's just a bit of a grim place. It doesn't feel necessarily united when you look on social media. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more for advice on our audience on communicating sustainability and getting people to come together and not just to say, um, but to do, because I'm sure that our audience of sustainability professionals are grappling with that at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, a place like Twitter maybe doesn't make it seem like it is a unifying issue, but actually, um, looking at like data and statistics, you'll see that actually climate change is quite a unifying issue. So um, from some of the things that we've um, been researching, uh, the number of people actually saying the environment is the most important issue facing the country has reached an all time high, according to YouGov. And 85% of us are saying that we're concerned about climate change. 89% of us saying we have noticed at least one current impact of climate change, such as like extreme weather. And hopefully you've seen on Twitter, but the Great Green Week demonstrates this, not only through the number of events going on throughout the week, but actually the diversity of people engaging. Um, in terms of advice on communicating sustainability to the general public, I think it's all about reminding people of how it's actually affecting all of our lives, whoever we are and wherever we live. Climate change is already here and we're seeing a greater we're seeing greater extreme weather events in the UK, across Europe and across the world. And it can cost lives. It put pe puts people's homes at risk of flooding and disrupts transport. And it makes all of us a little bit less safe. And it compromises businesses, farms and our favourite local green spaces. So climate change is impacting us now. But actually, lots and lots of people, as we've seen throughout the Green Week, are uniting to fight against it. So hopefully, even though the, the impacts might seem challenging and really big and scary, there are lots of people who are standing up to fight against it. Thank you for that. I agree that Twitter is definitely not the place to go if you're looking to get inspired. It's easy to get into a little uh, doom hole. There. <laughs> um, but I was going to ask, aside from the general public who we've touched on, there's lots of other demographics that you've talked about there. So policymakers, businesses, schools, cultural institutions, faith institutions. And I won wanted to ask whether there was a need for targeted or different engagement and communications for, for these different demographics? I'm presuming it is. So I'd love to hear your advice on that too. Yeah, definitely. I think the Great Big Green Week has very much for us been about creating a space for people who both haven't, haven't been engaged in the climate kind of action before. And it's all around creating a space for them to take action on climate change and protect nature. So it's it's not just about um, engaging the general public it's about connecting you and me and your neighbor and the person you maybe walk past in the street during a morning walk it's about connecting every individual person in their local community with their local green spaces and finding the right space for them to stand up to climate for climate and nature 
And I guess it's not just about individuals and community groups as well. We've seen some really great involvement from businesses too. They're giving up their time and space and maybe donating money or prizes to community events. And they're also talking about how they're tackling climate change and reconnecting with their local communities. Um, the other group of people it's really important to engage, as you've alluded to, is um, politicians. So people around the UK are showing politicians that it is time for action on climate change and that we want to see policymakers and policy politicians listening, engaging and acting so we can stop the worst effects of climate change before they happen. Of course. And um, we're speaking now, um, yeah, with less than six weeks to go until COP26. So that does beg the question about what exactly the Climate Coalition is asking for for policy um, at the moment. So I'd like to hear about that. And that's both in terms of domestic policy here in the UK. I know we're waiting for a couple of, I'd say, small changes, but definitely significant changes um, in the coming weeks. And then also your hopes for those international negotiations that will be taking place in November. Yeah, absolutely. So here in the UK, we obviously need to lead by example. So there's a few things that we can be doing. Um, so firstly, stopping new fossil fuel projects at home um, and abroad and making sure all UK finance decisions support our climate commitments. We need to urgently rescue carbon stores like H and Peat and Woodland and set strict targets in law to begin to reverse nature loss by 2030. And finally, we need to make sure that we replace COVID job losses by investing to create 1.8 million green jobs in renewable energy and green homes and clean transport and nature protection in the next three years. Um, as you said as well, the UK needs to be leading on the world stage at COP26 and we need to be pushing world leaders to take unprecedented action to limit global warming to the 1.5 degrees. We need to rapidly escalate protection and restoration of nature globally and we need to significantly increase international financial support to communities on the front line of the climate crisis so that they can adapt to climate change and address loss and damage. Um, policymakers and politicians really do have a chance to stop the worst effects of climate change. And we're really hoping um, that Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak will be listening to the public and will show some bold leadership ahead of the climate talks in November. Thank you. I think that's a nice scene setter. And obviously, we've just been one year on from the Climate Assembly closing and there's not a response to the report yet, from what I understand, unless I've missed it in my inbox. So never a more important time for those calls to action, Grace. Um, I'll let you get going because I appreciate you must be super hectic with the week. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's really great to chat. A big thank you once again to Grace for her time. Um, really enjoyed that call. It was great to get a feel for what's been going on um, across the country from my my own little home office here in East Sussex that I sadly haven't been able to get out of much this week. It's been email central over here. Um, but as Grace has mentioned, there's still more chances for you to get involved. You can visit their website, greatbiggreenweek.com for more information. Once again, that is greatbiggreenweek.com. Before we wrap up this first half of the podcast, I wanted to get your thoughts, Matt, on something that we've just talked about with Grace that I think is so important, which is engaging the general public at this crucial moment. So getting them on board at this at this time. And Grace is very optimistic, which is great. Um, but as someone that has to be on Twitter every day for her for her job, I've just seen people worried about how they'd be paying for their boilers under the potential heat and building strategy. Um, people saying that protesters for XR, Insulate Britain and other organisations just have it wrong and can't we all just get on with our lives. So I'd love to get your thoughts on how we can get the public properly on side with yeah, just a few weeks to go until COP26. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there when you mentioned that they're kind of worried about the, the affordability of these, these changes. We're in a um, <clears throat> really... Uh, challenging time and I know that's been said to death over the last uh, uh, year or so um, the economy is really struggling because of the pandemic and Brexit's kind of compounded some really short-term challenges to that as well uh, so finances are a real concern for a lot of people uh, in this country and, and indeed globally uh, and on top of that health and safety as, as, as well is, is kind of uh, rocketed up the agenda and is what a lot of, of people are, are worrying about with their whether that's through their purchasing habits or, or what they do with their spare time um <clears throat> what that means is that climate 
change is, is still important. There's no one that actively wants to kind of sabotage the planet. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a few, um, maybe Bolsonaro. Uh, I'm sure he won't listen to this, so he's not going to get in touch and call me out. That is he. Uh, um, but other than that, uh, no, no one wants to deliberately sabotage the, the planet. They, if, they, if they aren't doing what, um, and whether that's a consumer or, or a kind of a, a staff worker or a colleague, they're probably doing it through some kind of preconceptions they have about their own job and this is how they do it because it's more efficient for them or gives them more time. Or, um, so it's, it's essentially a, a re-education through outlining the benefits that this has. Climate change is quite a tough thing to get um, across to people because uh, one, it's 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 doom and gloom. Like it's it's almost kind of plucked from a, a fantasy novel that you know this world is just deteriorating because of human actions that are, you know, lying in the pockets of a select few. Um, but it's 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 the the true narrative that we have. But um, no one really wants to hear bad news. There's enough of that going around outside of climate. Um, so you've got to focus on the benefits of it. Uh, and another issue is, of course, that climate change doesn't necessarily uh, have this tangible reaction with everyone. Um, there's a lot, you know, uh, myself, I'm living kind of on a, in a small uh, village in, in the countryside. Uh, I'm not getting flash floods that were happening in London. There's no wildfires that were happening across California. If it doesn't, if you don't see climate change impact your everyday life, like like the coronavirus pandemic did, like these current um, empty shelves because of the Brexit uh, issues do, then then you're not you're less inclined to react. So it's a really long-winded way of of me to say that um, you need to articulate the benefits that this will have in the long term um, and where you can just just choice edit. Um, explain how what you as a business are doing um or what this nation is doing to be greener but don't i think i think you'll get the most traction if you don't really give them give us the consumers a choice just offer us the most sustainable product packaging service at a way that isn't doesn't come charged with a premium um I know that's not necessarily possible for some things. You can't roll out electric vehicles at the same cost as um, as a kind of, you know, 10-year-old uh, Vauxhall Corsa or something like that. But that's where we need to get to. Um, and I think businesses need to really work hard to reshape markets. That's me, the person with the outdated Corsa. Definitely. Thank you for the slide, dig. Um, but thank you, Matt. I think you're definitely right. It's that it's that accessibility and that relevance and that knowing that there is time for it and there is a, a benefit. And I think that's what Grace mentioned as well, that that's why community um, is important as well, to bridge this gap between asking businesses for more information um, potentially not trusting their green claims, trying to overcome all the jargon and feel like COP26 isn't just for world leaders, but will filter down to all of us. So lots to chew on there. Um, and with that in mind, I'm going to go on a short break from this episode, but don't worry, we'll be back with more on engagement and communication in the second half of this episode, where we're catching up with Will Hutton, the head of sustainability at record label Beggars Group. See you after the jingle. Hello and welcome back to part two of this episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast from ED. So Matt, are, are we refreshed and are we ready to think about climate change and pop culture? Um, uh, I know more about one than I do the other. Um, and yeah, my, my pop culture references probably date back to the, the kind of early 2000s. So uh, I, I might struggle here. Um, unless it's to do with kind of robot wars or um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I'm going to be massively outdated. Well, I'm hoping that you've maybe heard of Adele just a little bit. <laughs> um, is that is that like a spin-off of Adobe, the, the platform or not? Behave, no. behave. <laughs> um, so we're coming on to the third and final guest of the podcast to Beggars Group, the record label. Um, and I wasn't aware of them by name alone, but when Will told me that they manage artists like Adele and the XX and that they have labels like Matador and Rough Trade, um, I understood where he was going. Um, so really great to, to catch up with him. 
Um, and seeing as Matt doesn't have any pop culture headlines to hand, I've got a couple. Um, so it was Reading and Leeds Festival a few weeks ago, and the organisers got some youth climate activists on stage for the first time to give speeches. Um, Coldplay are still not touring internationally, not because of COVID, but because they want a way to go carbon neutral that doesn't rely on offsetting that much. Um, and also coming out in a couple of weeks, if we look to the future, the new James Bond film will see our super spy driving an all-electric luxury car for the first time. But for the next part of this podcast, we're going to be focused on how do you help celebrities to properly educate themselves and their fan bases on climate change? And how do you actually decarbonize entertainment and media, considering that it is quite low footprint relatively in the first instance? So here to help us answer these questions and more is Will Hutton from Beggars Group. So here's that interview in full. Hi, Will. It's a great to have you on the podcast after a fair few calls over the past couple of months. How are we, how are we doing today? Yeah, great. Thanks very much for uh, having me on. I'm looking forward to talking to you. No, thanks for, for popping on. And um, from talking to you before, I understand that you're Beggars Group's first head of sustainability um, and that is your first time on the podcast in that role. So I guess it would be great to just start there and get a view of how sustainability sits at the business. So what you're working with and, and how you work with the board. At, yeah, what I'd say is quite a unique company in terms of the companies that we, we regularly speak with. Of course, I think it is quite a unique company. And uh, when I was given the job this time last year, I was very much out on a limb in the music industry. I think I was the only full time hire in sustainability. So these topics are new to our industry, which is quite exciting for me. Um, but I'm on my own at Beggars. Um, I report directly to the board and the CEO. So my job is to gather all the data, uh, take it to the board and uh, give them a good picture of what's going on and, and see if we can agree on a strategy um, to move forward. And, and that's how we work. Um, increasingly now, lots of other record companies, especially the big ones, are starting to hire sustainability professionals too. So it's definitely a growing area um, and uh, things are taking off um, quickly, which is important. Great. And you mentioned there the importance of strategy development. And one of the big things we've seen since you joined the company is that there is now these new ambitions for carbon negative operations. That's by 2022 in the UK um, and 2024 in the US. So I'd love to hear a little bit more um, about how how those ambitions were were formulated. Sure. Um, well, the, the first job was to establish a carbon baseline for the business. Um, which is the first time I think a record company had attempted to do that in lots of detail. Um, and I found out that there were really four areas of our business which had significant carbon impacts. That's manufacturing, vinyl, which is uh, quite a dirty process, um, physical distributions, getting all that vinyl around the world to our different markets, digital distribution, that's getting the music from the artist onto Spotify or YouTube or however one of our fans might listen to it digitally, and business travel as well. So there's, there's four kind of key scope three areas to look at. We also set uh, scope one and two um, target. Um, all those targets were aligned with um, the Science Specs Targets Initiative and their one and a half degree, degree pathway um, on a kind of gross reduction basis. Uh, so we're looking to reduce our overall emissions from all those different areas by about 50% by 2030. And um, we'll attempt to report on progress every year um, to give our stakeholders you know, reliable updates on how we're doing. Great. And because because it's going to be negative before that 2030 mark, um, obviously, I'm presuming that offsetting is going to come into play in, in some in some shape or form here. Yes, it will do. Um, and as we've got a carbon negative target by uh, 2022 in the UK, it's something we need to think about quite quickly. Um, our focus this year really has been on decarbonising still. There's a fair amount of low hanging fruit in our supply chain, um, which we've managed to kind of tick off. And then there's a sort of innovation gap. Um, which means we have to work quite hard with our suppliers, especially our manufacturers and our distributors to get better data and to improve um, carbon reduction strategies in the long term. So before we do that, offsets is, is a quite important business for us. Our carbon footprint is small. It's about 5000 tonnes. But what we have managed to do at the moment is kind of set an internal carbon price um, pegged to uh, what you might consider a social cost of carbon, so somewhere between sort of 50 and 100 pounds per tonne. And that mm. means that we can um, calculate the cost of offsetting into our business, which helps us make better decisions when we're looking at um, carbon mitigation strategies. So for example, it's much more appealing to invest in improving manufacturing processes. If we know we're gonna be paying somewhere between 50 and 100 quid per tonne for offsets or commit to paying that much money this time next year. Um, so we're also, you know, looking very closely at carbon removals over any other different type of offset 
the carbon removal market is uh, slow to kick off, but there are lots of great nature-based carbon removal solutions that we'll uh, try and interrogate in more detail when the time comes. Fantastic. Um, and I love what you said there about working with the supply chain on this as, as well, because it is really a ripple effect, is, isn't it? I know you haven't got the carbon baseline for the whole of scope scope three yet, but I'm, I'd imagine that that's a, a big piece of work. Yeah, it is. Um, those four categories I mentioned earlier represent about 85% of our scope three emissions. So we've added, we've got a good chunk there. Um, uh, and working with suppliers is, is obviously really important. 40 odd percent of our emissions come from manufacturing vinyl and CD. But the vinyl manufacturing process is pretty archaic. It hasn't changed greatly since kind of the 1970s and 80s. We're still using quite old machines, which are relatively inefficient, mm. um, petrochemical raw materials. Uh, so it's going to take quite a lot of innovation and cross collaboration with record labels and industry partners to, to you know, to invest in that supply base, supply base and work with them to upgrade um, the way that they do business. So that's why it's kind of a longer term um, solution. Um, but we will get there and there's lots of different actors in the industry joining together now to make sure we're having the right conversations uh, with our supply partners to kind of affect change and support them. Mm. And, and you mentioned how the industry is sort of all on the same page and getting there around the same time. So um, the smaller players like yourself and then the big labels as well. And you've talked about how that will engage the supply chain. But I want to come on to how that will engage, you know, the fans and the artists. So popular culture um, in general. And it's something we're seeing more of. I remember a couple of years ago seeing old oh, Coldplay won't do international tours until they can find some way to make it greener. We've got now Music Declares Climate Emergency and initiatives like this. So I'd love to talk about, um, yeah, how to collaborate to, to change pop culture and an opinion yeah of course this is this is where our industry has a real part to play in the climate crisis um i think overall we we or i know from looking at ons data actually that the arts industry is responsible only for about 0.2 percent of uk industrial emissions so we're not a massive player in terms of carbon footprint um, but what we do have, obviously, is a massive and very impactful platform for change via our artists. Um, record labels themselves don't really deal too much with fans, um, but we support our artists to uh, fulfil their creative vision and um, you know, help them to speak about the issues that they care about in the most kind of concise ways um, with their fan base. I looked at some research recently which told me that 50% of people on social media follow an artist or a band. And you're twice as likely to follow an artist as you are a politician, which is mad. So now when people ask me what we need to do to solve the climate crisis, of course, we need like great legislative frameworks and you know big multinational businesses to be pulling their weight. But we also need artists to be talking about these issues because they have the power through great storytelling to um, uh, ignite social change. Um, yeah, and there's lots of different ways we can do that, of course. Um, but the big piece is to help educate artists to help them become literate in climate issues, because I still think there's a, a lot of climate paralysis amongst artists who really care about climate change. Lots of our artists are writing whole records about climate change now, but I think they feel slightly contradicted when they then go and do a world tour. They don't need right. to. There's good ways of touring and there's bad ways of touring, and we can always help them find the most efficient route of getting their music to market. Great, thank you so much. That reminds me of we had an event recently where the ocean race were on and they said a very similar thing about sport. I think the stat they had was eight in 10 people follow sports, but only probably between one and two in 10 people follow science and specifically environmental um, science. So the brain print of the stuff that we're consuming every day in our free time, so our music and our sport um, is, is a really powerful tool here. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And sport is, uh, sorry, music, crosses demographics too so you know our artists on our roster you know we have mega artists like Adele on Radiohead and the XX and then smaller artists like uh, Jarvis Cocker, Big Thief, Bell and Sebastian so all these different artists speaks to very 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 demographics across you know geographies and also populations so it's, it's a massive audience and uh, you know if we can get some of those big hitters tweeting about climate change uh, the, that stands to have a huge impact I think. Great, super exciting stuff, Will. I think that's a good note to end on and I hope we can catch up again later this year, maybe before COP26. Lovely. Thanks very much for having me. And a big thank you to Will, our third and final speaker for this episode. So as we've discussed, this is an industry with a fairly small carbon footprint in comparison to some other high emitters, but one that has to lead by example, A, because of that, and B, because it has this huge potential for cultural change.
with that that's nearly the end of the podcast and we hope it's given you the inspiration and the time to reflect and clarify that you needed after this busy week um so some last minute planning and prepping ahead of cop 26 matt and i will be back with this podcast in another couple of weeks um, and hopefully we can manage to rope in the ever elusive luke nichols our content director here at ed in the meantime, Matt, is there anything you want to make the listeners aware of that we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, just like businesses, we're kind of ramping up what we're we're doing in, in uh, lieu of COP26. It's it's very much the, the calm before the storm uh, in that sense. But we've got a few nice uh, events that are probably relevant to some of the audience. So Edie's uh, publisher, Fashion House, is actually going through the B Corp certification accreditation process right now. Uh, making the business a force for good. I'd like to think we were already, but in terms of a more kind of environmental and social impact as well. Um, so we're going to be hosting a webinar on the 7th of October, uh, Thursday the 7th of October, looking at the B Corp process. We'll be giving our own presentation, joined by our partners, uh, citing a group on that and a few other end users that have gone through that process. And then the following Thursday, so Thursdays are very much turned into webinar days for us um, at the moment. Um, we have one on ESOS uh, and how that uh, compliance with that can help a business on its net zero trajectory. And obviously we had one uh, this week or last week, depending on when you're listening to this, on uh, scope free emissions on the road to net zero as well. So we're trying to give our audiences as much ammunition uh, as possible to set their own net zero targets and plans. Um, and that will continue with various reports as we go into uh, and out of COP26. Great, thank you, Matt. You've you've stolen everything that I wanted to flag up. So I guess I'll just say that if everything that Matt has just mentioned is available at ed.net forward slash webinars. That's ed.net forward slash webinars. Um, and there's nothing else that I need to raise with you now, but there definitely will be in a few weeks time. So make sure you watch this space and tune in to the next episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed, we hope you have. You can subscribe to this podcast series wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify. But I think that's everything. So until next time, it's a goodbye from Matt. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.